Hello and welcome to St. Paul's United Methodist Church's Sermon Podcast. I'm Pastor Mike Agnew and it's great to have you listening to our sermons. If you're interested in learning more about the church, you can find us on our website at www.cherokeemethodist.com. Well, today we are beginning a new sermon series, a new focus, in which we are looking at what it is that makes us unique as United Methodists. Wherever you're at, chances are that you live in a community that has a lot of churches. I know here in Cherokee, we have quite a few different churches, and when you take into consideration our region around us, there are a lot of choices. Some churches are more different than one another, and some churches are very similar. And so the question is, what makes us unique? And so for the next several weeks, we're going to be taking a look at what it is that makes us distinctive as United Methodists. And we're going to start by looking at the life of John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist movement. And then we're all going to spend future weeks looking at some of the practices and theology that make us unique. And hopefully, if you are thinking about becoming United Methodist, if you aren't already, this might be good for you. Or if you already belong, this be a good reminder. So when we talk about John Wesley, we're going all the way back to the 1700s. John was born in Epworth, England, to Samuel and Susanna Wesley. He lived during the time of the American Revolution, to give you a a sense of perspective. So much of his life was before the American Revolution. And in the years leading up to John Wesley's birth, there was a lot of polarization and division within the society. There were a lot of factions, churches fighting against one another, the Roman Catholic Church and the Anglican Church, otherwise known as the Church of England, oftentimes fought against each other, and there was a lot of intrigue, political intrigue. And so in John Wesley's day, a lot of people were kind of disillusioned with the church altogether, and again, as I said, there was a lot of division. Sound familiar? It should, because in a way that describes what our way of life is like today. In many ways, history is cyclical. Well, John Wesley, as I said, he was born to Samuel and Susanna, and Samuel was a pastor. He pastored a church for 40 years in the same place. But it was not always a bed of roses. Oftentimes, they faced adversity. Many times his congregants didn't really care for him, somewhat because he supported the king, and many people didn't support the king. And so, anyway, he faced a lot of pushback in his congregation. Also, at one point, when John Wesley was five years old, somebody set fire to the rectory, which is basically like a parsonage. It's a church-owned house for the pastor's family. Now, Samuel would say that somebody in the congregation set his house on fire. And he had reason to believe that, but nobody knows for sure what caused the fire. But they got everybody out of the house. They thought they had everyone out of the house, and then all of a sudden they realized that little John Wesley, five years old, is still in the house. The house is pretty much engulfed in flames. There's not much they can do. And so they start praying to entrust his soul to God But then an onlooker, somebody who was there, noticed a boy in one of the windows. And so one man got on the other man's shoulders and they were able to reach the boy and pull him out of the fire right before the roof collapsed. 
Susanna and Samuel had a large family with about 17 children. They faced adversity, however, as I said, because nine of their children died in, st- in birth or early childhood, as that was more of a common thing back then. But John grew up in the faith. He grew up as a pastor's kid, and yet the person who had the most impact on his life was probably Susanna, his mother. She's considered the mother of Methodism. And she was quite a mother as she homeschooled her children six hours a day. In addition to that, she spent an hour a week with each child to ask how they're doing. And she also led Sunday devotions, Sunday night devotions. And so his faith was very much influenced by her, her, his dad as well, but a lot by his mom. So when John Wesley grew up, when he was 17 years old, he went to Oxford, and he decided he wanted to study to become a pastor after his own dad. And so it was while he was at Oxford that he realized that there's something missing. There is something missing in his faith. He didn't know what it was, but it just wasn't right. There there was something about church that was missing. There was something about his individual faith that was missing, a spark, a passion. He wasn't sure exactly what it was. But he wanted to find out. And so he and his brother Charles, who was also at Oxford, they got together with two other students. And they would meet together several times a week. And they would do things like study the Bible, pray, have communion together, hold one another accountable to spiritual growth issues. They would grow in their faith and they would serve others by visiting the elderly and the sick and those in prison and caring for the poor. I mean, they did all kinds of things, and the idea was that if he figured, you know, if he could do these things and grow closer to God, then maybe he would find what he was missing. Now, some people would make fun of them, and they would call them Bible moths or Methodists because of the very intentional and methodical way they went about doing things, and obviously that name stuck. Well, eventually, an opportunity came up. For John to go to the colonies, remember, there was, we had not, have not had the American Revolution yet. So he had an opportunity to go to Georgia in particular to preach to the native inhabitants. And he thought to himself, ah, perhaps this will be an opportunity to find what I'm missing. And so he goes to Georgia, and I'm guessing you bet that I am going to tell you that John was just an amazing success there in Georgia. But you would be wrong. He was a failure for a number of reasons. Number one, when they finally get to shore, and you know how back in those days it was a big deal to cross the ocean on a ship. It still is. But when they got to shore, John destroyed all of the rum that they had saved to celebrate. And some of these people on the ship were going to be his congregants. In addition, many people felt that he was too strict, making people get up at 6 a.m. for a communion service. And if they don't get up at 6, they don't get communion. He was very strict. He was very methodical. Another word for methodical, if taken too far, can be legalistic, and he was legalistic. In addition, John liked a girl there named Sophia, and he wanted to be with her, but yet he felt conflicted because he felt that if he was with her, he wouldn't be able to be as devoted to God, and therefore he just kind of had this platonic relationship with her. But she wanted something more. She wanted a husband. And so eventually another man asked her to marry him. And so she went to John and said, hey, another man asked me to marry him. 
it's almost kind of like she's saying, you better say something now if you want to. Well, John didn't say anything, and so she got married, and after that, John was mad. And so one day in church, John banned her from communion. He wouldn't let her receive communion, which, as you can imagine, would be public humiliation. Not only that, but this was the mayor's daughter. <laughs> and so Sophia and her husband sued John for defamation of character. The court proceedings lasted for months. The congregation grew tired of John, and he finally left in the night one night to go back to England. He left in disgrace. He was broken. He was at his lowest point in life. He questioned whether or not he was really even a Christian in the first place. Have any of you ever been there? Have you had a time in your life where you felt broken, where you felt beat down, where you felt like maybe you questioned your own faith, and maybe it was a situation you were in, or maybe it was uh, a choices that you had made. But either way, it's when we're broken that God can work in us. Not that he can't when we're fine, but when we're broken, God can work in us all the more. And so anyway, John was broken, but shortly thereafter, he went to a Bible study on the book of Romans. He went reluctantly. Now, I don't know if there are any of you who ever went to a church event reluctantly, but if you have, you're in good company because John Wesley also went to a Bible study reluctantly. And it was on Aldersgate Street. We call May 24th Aldersgate Day. Many people don't know this. But United Methodists call May 24th Aldersgate Day because of the amazing thing that happened when he went to the Bible study on May 24th on Aldersgate Street. Actually, nothing really amazing happened. Somebody was reading the preface to the Romans, and all of a sudden John felt his heart strangely warmed. That's how he describes it in his journal. And he felt as though Christ died for him, even him. It's not that he learned anything new, but it's that the Holy Spirit touched him. And he received that spark that he was looking for. And coincidentally, his brother Charles would have a very similar religious experience just a few days later. And after this, nothing was the same. John Wesley's preaching was filled with passion. He called people to real faith because he believed that the church, the Church of England, was stale and dead and needed renewal. And so when he would preach in churches and chapels, and he would call into question whether people were really faithful or whether their faith was stale, people would get upset. And they would kick him out of the churches. They'd say, you can't preach here anymore. But that didn't deter him. He just preached out in the fields to the miners and workers. And he eventually went all over the region preaching the good news. He became kind of like an evangelist, except, you know, whereas most evangelists will preach to a group of people and then just leave, John knew from his earlier days that, that when he preached to a group of people, he then needed to organize them into groups with leaders who would hold them accountable to spiritual growth. And so he would have larger groups called societies, smaller groups called classes, and even smaller groups called bands. He got this partially after his own, you know, when he met with his friends and with his brother Charles at Oxford. Same model. So this spread throughout England and the colonies. But you might be wondering, well, Mike, how did this become a new denomination? How did this become a church? Because, you see, 
John wasn't out to start a new church. He wanted to renew the Anglican Church, the Church of England. But in America, the Methodist movement was also spreading. But the problem is that in America, there were not enough Anglican priests to serve communion, to baptize, to do the things that a pastor would do. And the reason why is because it's the Church of England, and obviously America was fighting against England at the time. And so John did something that he knew would basically create a new church, and that is that he ordained some people to oversee the churches. See, John didn't have the authority to do that. That would be like if I ordained you to be a pastor somewhere. I can't do that. The bishop can do that, but I can't do that. So this is what John Wesley did, and he knew that by doing so, he was creating his own church, but he felt like he had to. So the Methodist Church really got its start in America as a denomination. Now, Wesley continued to preach throughout his lifetime. He faced opposition. Sometimes clergy and laity would hire people to disturb him while he preached, throwing tomatoes, manure, and rocks at him. But he continued on. And then when he was in his 60s, he was ironically being invited to preach everywhere in all the churches. And by the time he died in his late 80s, he was considered a national hero. Now, that's not to say Wesley was perfect. He certainly wasn't. In addition to some of the stories I told you earlier, he did eventually marry someone in England, but he neglected her severely. But nonetheless, he has made an impact in our world, unlike any other. And so the question is, as we think about the United Methodist Church today, how are we? Are we stale? Are we in need of renewal as John Wesley felt the Church of England was? And if so, what can we do to get there? Perhaps one of the ways that we can get there is to go back to our roots, to find out where we came from, to find out the things that we did at first that led to revival and renewal and start there. And so hopefully this has been interesting to you, but also hopefully you can identify yourself in John Wesley's story. Now, I would be it would be wrong for me not to mention this one aspect of his brother Charles, and that is that Charles was with John pretty much all the time that he was along the way. And Charles wrote at least 4,400 hymns. Many of them probably aren't familiar to you, but perhaps you recognize Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing, or the Advent song Come Thou Long Expected Jesus or Hark the Herald Angels Sing, or the Easter song, Christ the Lord is Risen Today. They certainly had an impact on our faith. But Wesley also wanted to warn people about what could happen to the people called Methodists. So here's what he writes. He says, I am not afraid that the people called Methodists should ever cease to exist, either in Europe or America. But I am afraid lest they should only exist as a dead sect, having the form of religion without the power. This undoubtedly will be the case, unless they hold fast both the spirit, doctrine, and discipline with which they first set out. So it's always good for us to take heed of these words and to take evaluation, both individually and as a church. It's good to seek renewal. And in the coming weeks, we're going to be looking at some of the practices that led to renewal. 
What is this doctrine and spirit and discipline that he spoke of? Many of these things still work and they're very practical. So I hope you can join us in the coming weeks as we take a closer look at them. And we'll see if this might be a way that we move towards a revival and spiritual vitality. Amen. God bless and have a great week.